So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Welcome back to Drink in the Movies. Taylor, what are we drinking today? We are drinking the Hellbent Brewing Company's Kolsch. It's a nice, lightweight, um, kind of a pilsnery beer, but it's a little bit more berry than nutty. Extra delicious. Today we're talking about some movies from the Seattle International Film Festival. The three movies we're talking about today. Um... We've been to the festival in person before. This is all virtual still. Mm -hmm. um, I remember seeing Paul Schrader's first Reformed I was together. about to say, this is actually us in that sequence where we're levitating um, and like everything, mm -hmm. you know, like this last year, it's not real. We, we just maybe drank some liquid. Exactly. Did, exactly. Uh, yeah. We have a couple documentaries. One narrative feature but we'll do some first impressions before we get going what are we doing first impressions of we've got zola from a24 which we've been waiting for for i think two years now and mm -hmm. those who wish me dead from taylor sheridan who we've been waiting for a new project from since wind river other than his television series yellowstone zola first zola first hey Last month, I went dancing at this cute spot in Florida where my roommate's girl made like five G's a night. Because of my we just met yesterday and you already trying to take hoe trips together? Be ready by two. Hi, bitch! You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. You want to go somewhere with me? That's my face. Shut it so bad. Dear Heavenly Father, we are asking you a special prayer today. We asking you to send us niggas. Send us niggas with culture. Send us niggas with good credit. What brings y'all here? We making money. Money, titties, money, titties. From here on out, watch every move this bitch make. All right, that was the trailer for Zola, which premiered, I think, at last year's Sundance Film Festival. I think it was 2019, but I might be wrong. Time is still blurry for me, uh, but we're finally seeing the trailer. What do you think? Somewhere between Hustlers and Spring Breakers is Zola. Totally. I was going to say Harmony Corian too. I'm right there with you. Yeah. It, uh, there's these, these great um, highway scenes as they're... They're going over stretches between uh, like Little Land and the, the bridge over the ocean that remind me of Waves. Um, nighttime cinematography and the, the truck uh, from a couple years back. 
Um, I'm very interested in the character portrayals that each of these actresses gets to take on. Coleman Domingo is in this film. I always enjoy him. I think that he's probably most notably recently known for his role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom as Mm. kind of the the straight man in between Ma Rainey and Chadwick Boseman's character. Um, He's he's fantastic. And then there's also um, the nephew of the family from succession uh he's he's a tall lanky kid i see him in here as well and he's he's quite uh an enjoyable actor so i'm i'm looking forward to this i expect i'm going to respond quite positively to it how about you mike i'm right there with you and i think the reference points you mentioned are spot on uh i think it looks good the images just look great um cinematography just looks really textured the colors super striking but not in a kind of overwrought way um yeah i i'm I'm pumped um i haven't seen anything else by this director uh janixa bravo i think is her name um i remember she did the movie lemon which i feel like i remember some people liking but i didn't see that one myself oh really Did did you see that one the uh the private detective movie i don't really know what it's about i just remember kind of seeing that cover but i did not see that one yeah if it's the movie i think it is it's actually a very fun movie and that Ah. almost excites me more because it's so tonally this is so tonally different but there's going to be the same dramatic beats which she pulls off some pretty odd dramatic beats that normally someone can't pull off so Mm, yeah i am interested it's kind of like um the kid detective where like these Mm. plot beats shouldn't work but because of the good faith the director's operating in, they are working. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, kind of road movie, part buddy comedy, but it looks like there's some unease underneath it somewhere. Um, looks dope. I'm pumped. I agree. Also, the title may have changed to At Zola. I don't know. Uh. <laughs> All right, on to those who wish me dead. I read the wind wrong. I should have gone to them. Then you've been dead too. That's our job. Hey, stop. I'm not gonna hurt you. I want to see where the blood's coming from. It's not my blood. You in trouble? Anyone else in trouble? My dad said, if anything happened, I should find someone I can trust. Are you someone I can trust? We promise absolutes. Act accordingly. All right, Michael, that is the trailer for Taylor Sheridan's Those Who Wish Me Dead, starring Angelina Jolie. What do you think? The trailer itself reminds me quite a bit of the trailer for the second Sicario, where they really have the uh, making a rhythm out of bullets down. Like, I feel like it has got to be maybe some of the same editors or something like that. Real similar feel. He even just feels like he's taken after um, Denis Villeneuve a little bit in his style. Just this kind of very muscular form of uh, American action thrillers um assassins and wildfires in one movie that is quite a 
story that it looks like it is telling. Um, it feels like it might be a little outlandish for me, but I expect to be entertained. I would probably consider it escapist fair, but uh, I think I could probably have a decent time with this. What about you? I don't disagree with anything you said. My my first, um, I wouldn't say reservation or concern, but like just point of interest is I don't believe that he's ever adapted a book to a screenplay before. And that I believe is what I saw here at the end of this trailer, that it's adapted from a book. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does in that, because if he does well and this film turns out um, to have done well, there's probably going to be a lot of money for him from Hollywood because there's a lot of books that they have the adaptation rights to that have not been made yet. So that's kind of the first point of interest, not really judgment one way or the other. Um, Whether or not the fire looks real is going to go a long way for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, It always always does. I have a tag on Letterboxd specifically for that um, called Shitty CGI uh, Fire. So um, I hope that I don't get to use that tag when I log in on Letterboxd, but I, I'm going to try to watch it in Dolby, get really crisp black, um, because the, those crisper blacks allow the fire to look more realistic for me. Um, it's hair, it's, you know, trying to be harrowing. Um, as you mentioned, it's it's very escapist, like it's it's a little bit far-fetched, but I... I think that there's a lot of uh, sincerity to what I saw, which is kind of the thing that he makes his bread and butter on is sincerity, no matter how outlandish things get. So I think that once I be- w- once I forget to remember that I'm watching Angelina Jolie, a like super or an, or an ex model who became an action star in Tomb Raider, playing this character, and I'm I'm just like worried about the fire catching up to her. I'm probably going to be having a very good time in the theater. Yeah, I agree. I think sincerity with this kind of thing is good because I I don't really like like irony or any kind of uh, comedy seeping into this kind of fear. But I also don't like self-seriousness in a scenario that is a little silly in a way. Um, so I hope it's not taking itself too seriously at the same time. So I don't know. There's kind of a fine line with this kind of material that involves just some wild stuff between assassins and raging forest fires. Yeah. Um, and normally it comes down to like how the characters play. Like you can let one or two characters be really self-serious, but you can't let mm-hmm. all of them just be the same dark brooding character. And with Burnthal, I'm a little bit worried that he'll just be another assassin. I was going to say the guy from Game of Thrones, who I couldn't tell you that actor's name. Aiden Gillen. It looks maybe a little hammy to me. I mean, we barely saw much from him. Um, yeah. It's a little bit of a hammy villain thing going on, which could be fun, but we'll see. Yeah, true. All right, let's get on to the Sith title, Sweat. All right, Michael, this is our only feature film from the Seattle International Film Festival that we'll be covering. 
Um, I believe that it is a Swedish and Polish production, but my understanding is that the film is actually set in Poland, which it took me quite a while to try to sleuth out. Um, Mm. What do you think of this one? I like this movie. I'm with you. I would not have been able to tell you that we were in Poland. I don't think it really foregrounds the place, but that's not a problem. Uh, That's uh, just a a thing about it. Um, I like this movie quite a bit. We're following a young woman by the name of Sylvia, played by Magdalena Kolesnik, who is a fitness personality slash social media celebrity. Um... We hear multiple times throughout the movie that she has around like 600,000 followers on, I think, Instagram specifically. So she has a a solid following and the movie sort of tracks her um, uh, career as a fitness motivator and some of the loneliness she experiences um, due to a lack of any kind of romantic relationship or even friends, period. It's really kind of about the loneliness she experiences in this lifestyle. Um, what about you? What'd you make of this? Yeah, yeah, I, I would echo a lot of those things. I think I'd describe it in like a sentence as like a week with a social media influencer. You're right. It's <laughs> over like a yeah, very short number of days. You're right. Um, I, I really like the... Um, almost frenzied camera movement at times there's in there's an interesting handheld cinematography happening here where there's like very conventional almost static shots if you didn't notice the slight nudging and then there's these these outdoor scenes like when she's taking her dog out for the first time and you haven't yet learned that plot beat about the car the man in the car who becomes her stalker uh the camera's really flurried and frenzied when it's going back and forth but when it's when it's on its subject, it's kind of slow and it, it's moving up and down, um, but it's not like really frenzied. And then when she moves side to side, it just boom. And you start to get this this feeling of, um, you know, un- unwieldiness of some sort. Like there's something, um, you know, that that's not right here. And I really responded to that cinematography choice or the, the direction choice. That happens as well at the birthday scene um when things start heating up the the camera kind of starts darting around and you get smothered with the layering of them on the couch and then the dining room table and that new big tv and just how cramped and crowded everything is i I really responded to that and i like the um the juxtaposition that the film has of her being kind of this soft emotional open honest person and not being able to actually sincerely share with people Mm -hmm. um i think that that scene with her mom is is really really interesting because it it plays kind of a a myriad of ways where it it starts and you think that that maybe her mom's going to be this nice person just like her Mm -hmm. and then you learn that she's really withdrawn and in herself and she doesn't want any of her neighbors to hear that her birthday song's been sung to her she notably closes the the door of the window um she says should be quiet um she doesn't want anybody to make a fuss and um that that really informs the character with a great interiority um about why she's acting this way and where those emotions are coming from and it also changes the angle of that mall scene where a woman stops Mm. her 
um, mm-hmm. to share those emotions. And you think it's going to go one way where she's going to be like, I don't have time for you. You're a fucking creep. And then it turns out to be the most, I think, meaningful and engaging conversation that she has in the entire film where that person wants to know more about her and is there for her than any other person, whether it's her family member or the the man who's trying to sleep with her or, or the, the few other people that we see along the way. Yeah, I like that scene you mentioned where Sylvia runs into this old friend in the mall who... Um, Not a friend, a follower. Oh, is it a follower? Just a follower. Oh, I thought they had known each other or something Mm-mm. like that. Um Weird. It, it seemed like they had an, like a familiarity with each other. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, maybe I'm I misremembering. Mean, un- unless I misread the subtitles, she basically was like, I recognized you from your Instagram thing. And then she's like, I'm sitting mm. over here. Would you come talk to me and, and have lunch with oh, me? And yeah. then she yeah. starts sharing about like her life experience and where she's at. And Sylvia begins to, um, you know, just like provide how she sees that or, or feels with it. And she doesn't judge that person. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I guess what I thought was interesting about that scene, although maybe I've misinterpreted because I might have misunderstood the context of that relationship. But, you know, I guess I was kind of expecting some obvious beats in this movie that they that it didn't ultimately hit. And I think some of the more obvious ones that this movie could have hit is whenever we do see Sylvia interacting with other people, I kept kind of waiting for these other people to be talking about the things that they have Um and that Sylvia doesn't, but that she wants. And instead, this woman is talking about, like, her really kind of troubled family life. And um, I, I want to say she's talking about maybe a child or a relationship. I don't know. It's just kind of intimate personal details. Um, and what would be the much easier thing for this movie to do is for Sylvia to run into people and hear about how great their lives are and have that only accentuate the fact that um, Sylvia wants these things and doesn't have them and instead it's just not quite that easy where sylvia wants these things and at the same time hears about how hard they can be and it's mm-hmm. just feel much more real and she doesn't um, want the cheap version yeah which i think totally changes like you can tell this is an american almost because she doesn't just want it she wants a sincere version of it mm-hmm. and she's not settling for that any version before that yeah um I'm completely with you about the camera work. I think, you know, part of what Sylvia is selling is her energy. It's not, I wouldn't really call it bubbly. It's just like an intensely energetic presence she has when she is turned on for her followers and leading them through a exercise class or whatever. Yeah, and the camera work very much matches that energy. Um, and I really like how the opening scene of the movie is also set in a mall, coincidentally. Um, and we see her coming out from like backstage after she's put on some makeup and she then kind of goes into this routine where she's leading people through a exercise class. But, um, you know, the one of the ideas in this movie that fitness personalities are in a way a kind of performer seems mm-hmm. very evident in that scene where she's literally coming from backstage. It feels like a show and the camera is very much sort of treating it that way um, and is very much in sync with her her energy level um, until she turns it off and goes about her private life, just like you said. And then it slowly kind of comes down with her. And I like that it very much stays in sync with her, which is cool. Yeah. There's, um, there's also the cheap American version of this would be how insincere she is. And it took me a good third of the movie to, to just stop looking for what I'm always looking for with people looking into their phones, talking about themselves 
Mm. Um, because I, I really thought she was just going to be that, you know, like she was going to be the problem with the movie that, that she, yeah. she was the not villain, but like the egomaniac who, who was a bad person at some level that you don't want to replicate or be yourself. Like the example yeah. in the mirror that you don't want to be, who's the fairest of them all, not her type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends up not being that, like, she's always got her phone. She's always looking into her phone, but she's not being a bad example. She's not doing it with these negative intentions. Um, and it really just kind of spins the whole piece in, in a, not on its head, but in a way that feels um, very original. Um, I think that I do have some, some hangups with the film. I, I feel like there's not quite a clear progression. I also like that there's not a clear progression because that, that makes it a little bit more sticky, a little bit more real. Um, I think that, that I'm probably in that 74, 78 range, which is three, three and a half. Um, um, if we're using the letterbox stars, um, but it feels stickier than that. It's kind of like when the last black man in San Francisco never made my top 10, but it's probably mm. the movie that I quote to you the most. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It is funny that you hear a synopsis of this movie or see a, uh, still from it. And you, you hear it's about a fitness personality and that she has a great deal of social media followers, but that she's lonely. You just are waiting for this, like to be about how social media stars can be shallow or inauthentic. And it's the total reverse where it's about the challenge of someone living that lifestyle, wanting to be authentic and feeling like they can't because of uh, sponsors wanting them to present a certain way or something like that. Um, I, I, I do think it is a nice kind of reversal of expectations. Um, I think the lead actress is really good. Um, I too. Named Magdalena Kolesnik. I think it's her fourth performance. Yeah, just incredibly convincing. I don't doubt for a second that this girl is the fitness um, kind of Wonder Woman that she is. It's when very I looked convincing. it up, I was like, this is going to be her first performance because she's probably a fitness person. Yeah, it really <laughs> feels like that. Um and, you know, some of the ideas about how, how lonely she is and how lonely this lifestyle can be, I appreciate. I also kind of found myself wondering, though, like if this movie's maybe asking us to take her loneliness or her the, the absence of good relationships a little bit too much for granted. Like, I almost started to kind of wonder, like, why doesn't she have even a friend or, or more friends? Um... I started to kind of wonder why that simply didn't happen. It doesn't really go out of its way to show us how busy she is or anything like that. Um, it, it almost was like a little hard to buy sometimes that this girl whose personality we, we discover is really pretty great um, wouldn't have somebody. It's kind of odd. I think the movies just kind of assumes that to make its point about her loneliness just fine but i don't know is that hard to buy at all for you no i completely agree there's something about the vanity mirror not being clean here where it's like we're we're looking at this this woman who's making her entire career about herself and somehow she she appears in these intimate moments by the end to not be nearly as selfish as um one would assume about those types of people in their vanity mirrors However, she doesn't have a single connection that just it it doesn't make any sense because um, that that would indicate that that outside of what we see, 
she's um you know encountering nice people and saying go away at some level like right. it, it just doesn't make any sense because as you go through life and you're nice to people you will eventually make connections and she's too far along in her life to have been a nice person that she's depicted as in the film and not have any connections besides her dog um, yeah. it really is incoherent because there's there's this crucial scene in which the man that she's seen goes down and beats the shit out of her stalker and then she goes down and helps her stalker drives him to the hospital in his car that he's stalking her in, masturbating to her in in public and she's the one that's there for him taking care of him this person mm. would not have zero connections totally it does not make sense there's some suspension of disbelief involved which i kind of did but i also kind of wished i I didn't have yeah. to do that. Um, it's kind of a setup that just, on a certain level, doesn't make sense. If it's, you just it's accept it, it's okay. Like <laughs> you, there's an identity there, but it's not. It's not clear. It's not. It's not complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kept waiting for it to describe, you know, the way in which she might be intimidating to people, the way somebody might find her unapproachable because she is put on this pedestal. But it doesn't even really do that. Um, I think she's actually super approachable. We see that in the mall. Mm -hmm. We're like, I want to be friends with this girl. Um, So that was maybe one issue. But I think there's a lot of tenderness that I just did not expect. There's the scene you're describing where she's taking this man who's been stalking her and has been terrified of um, to the hospital after he's gotten the shit kicked out of him. And she's checking him into the hospital. His face is bloodied and and there's a shot of her just putting her hand on his back as he's just reeling and paid it was a really tender Mm -hmm. moment um i don't know you just i I was not expecting yeah it's like i simultaneously like I, i really like this direction um i i'm impressed by the performance and everything but there's there's something missing at a core foundational level that you just can't ignore um, I would still recommend the film. I, I still think it's worth spending time with, but um, I, I think that the screenplay needs to be better the next time around for this director. And I, I'm expecting great things out of this actress. What was her name mm-hmm. again? Magdalena Kolesnik. Okay. And I'm with you. She was great. Um, favorite scene? Uh, what is my favorite scene? Do you have one while I think? Yeah, it's um, it's actually kind of because of the fast cutting. It's it's technically a few scenes probably, but it's it's that first. Uh, it's part of that first um, mall gymnasium event thing where she um, she breaks off from the co trainer who's trying to sleep with her later in the film, and she goes and she runs through everybody and she's perking them up. There's this great mm. kind of frenetic uh, camera work there, and she's really you know selling it all in her performance she's really really believable yeah yeah um i might go with one of the more like obvious moments of the movie or one of the bigger moments which is she's had this stalker uh sitting in the parking lot outside of her building who exposed himself to her essentially at one point he's masturbating in his car a friend of hers comes over and kicks the shit out of him and then the friend of hers comes back to her apartment and uh, puts her in an uncomfortable position. I'll put, leave it at that, I guess. Um, but uh, one of the ideas of this movie is part, like part. It's partly about sort of the un, 
the uneasiness of feeling like you're the object of somebody else's gaze and how Mm -hmm. that can be very alienating and distancing. Um, And there's this moment where she she's felt like she was being watched by one other person then suddenly feels herself being watched and looked at by this other person and it is vastly more uncomfortable um and just the ideas of distance and feeling looked at i think are really interesting there you're right that is one of the most profound feelings is that that scene in her living room and just the reversal Mm -hmm. that that happens in that that five minute span yeah cool on to Fai Dai. Hello, Justamity. Karazetis, Dabin, Karazetis, Kara, Mundalagas, Akarabus in the city of Laga, Niger of Tanamas, Nurati, Hisuma and Taini. All right, Michael, this is a documentary, quote unquote, film about Sufi Muslims and the harvesting of the cot uh, plant that is chewed for their their mysticism and their their experience in religion. It follows the harvesting the um, the harvesting of the plant itself, and then um, peeling the plant itself to get the leaves and shipping the leaves to the village, and then uh, proceeding to tell a boy that no, fifteen of these dollars is enough to get some high mountain water, some cot, and some charcoal, mm. um, or some sheesh rather, and some charcoal. What do you uh, what do you think about this documentary? I really like this movie. It is much more about mood than exposition, exposition and uh, learning the specifics of of the cot trade. It's much more about the the feeling that pervades this region where cot is sort of um, affecting everyone's life in in one way or another, whether they uh, ingest it or harvest it or just kind of live alongside this um, um, crop. Um, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was incredibly intoxicating. Um, it's shot in black and white. I think it looks incredible. And you said documentary, you did air quotes Mm -hmm. as you said that, um, because there are some, some maybe fictionalized elements. It's honestly a little hard to discern sometimes, I think where something might be a little scripted versus, just spontaneous dialogue and i was totally good with that it just seems like it's an effort to better express the underlying kind of truth and what everyone is 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 feeling um it has this very kind of um haunting sadness pervading a lot of it i think um as people um either just feel kind of stuck in their position wherever that might be relative to the crop or wanting to leave this area of Ethiopia um it's two hours long I think it's maybe a little long for my preference but um it's a little arbitrary um I'll pause there what about you overall I think what you do in two hours you can do in 70 minutes with these images i think that more of these images isn't necessary there are certain scenarios that have to be included um the coffee scenario is probably the most crucial i think the shopping list scenario is also Mm. crucial um 
but other other than those two scenarios i think that there's a lot of not chuff but a lot of images that are um just as beautifully demonstrated in other images um i um with documentaries i'm you know i'm a little bit more picky than most I'm much more mixed on this documentary than you. I would agree that there's some beautiful striking images. I do think that the thread is um, not quite clear here. Um, there's there's a very like almost naive attack uh, to the the presentation of the film. It's like they completely avoid the reason why cot is prevalent in the region. It's not just economics. It's it's also the religion. And the religion is also the the head of the politics there. And the head of the politics there also feeds into a, a larger Muslim nation um, that, that is, um, you know, importing the cot that they're growing. So there's, I, I think the boundary conditions of the film um, keep me from loving it because I know that there's a lot more to the story that it's not including. I know that that's not what the director set out to do, but um, bias is bias and that's mine. You wish it explored more of the connection between Kot and its use in the religion? Is that what um, you mean? Yeah, and also, like, the the implicating factors of, like, um, y- you know, if you were to go do a study of, like, coffee beans growing, you wouldn't be done with that region until you had examined the region that it's being sold to. Mm. Yeah. And that is avoided here. And the, mm-hmm. the reasons for why it's sold to those other regions and um, like the the ancient pra- practice of uh, Sufi mysticism, which is, I, I think, like one of only two versions of mysticism within the Islamic faith. Um, just the fact that it doesn't really get into that. I mean, there's there's a few moments of narration um, over um, my favorite scene. I'll get that out of the way right now. My absolute favorite scene is the doorway of smoke in which oh, there's, the an, there's an eye. Yeah. Um, at one point and it, it very much looks like a gin which is um the original term for for genie or ginny um and it's like this the soul of the desert or the soul of of an element mm. and there's this narration about um a a head of a of a mosque there um mm. and just kind of explaining it but um, they don't really get into the reason why cot is used for for Sufi mysticism. Um, they don't get into the reason why cot is imported to different regions, um, and that I it's a big hang up for me. But the the images are beautiful. the The boots on the ground um, look is interesting. Um, you know, it, I I always like in these films when people actually look at the camera that are just like in the warehouse working. Because mm. then I know that they're not being performative. Mm. That's my favorite mm. thing. Because I always worry about performative um, actors within documentaries. And I, I have a hard time taking large groups of people um, seriously if no one's looking into the camera. Because then it tells me that they're all acting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to argue with that. I mean, I completely understand that there are um, you know, lots of things at play here that the movie isn't... Um, taking the time to try and explain i think it's yeah more concerned with just capturing feelings and images and glim- and, and glimpses into people's lives versus sort of the um these sort of um forces at large and the way they fit into kind of the broader society i think it's much more about um 
kind of just the, the listlessness that so many of these people experience despite where they might be in position relative to the cot. Um, now, there's something very kind of um, uniform across so many different people in this movie that, that they're experiencing something very kind of um, similar. Um, and, and just on a pure formal level, I think there's just such a musicality to it. It is long at two hours but i think that allows for some really effective repetition there are certain images we keep kind of returning to after we've gone off in a different direction you know we'll keep coming we'll keep coming back to the plant itself obviously and the images Mm -hmm. of people you know pulling leaves off the stems it honestly just kind of sounds like weed in a way it's a it's a plant that you chew or you chew the leaves i think maybe i think we maybe see some people smoking it but it's um but it gives you a high from mm-hmm. what I can tell. Um, and, you know, just the way in which the film seems to be under this same kind of haze that the people are under is really um, affecting for me. And, yeah, so these images of the plant itself, this attention on hands and kind of the study of hands as people interact with it. Um, shots of of people, whether they're outside in the landscape or inside, but usually facing away from the camera a lot of the time. Um usually just kind of has this kind of longing associated with it, which can be really affecting. Um, And it's kind of a landscape study in itself, too. Just plenty of shots of how light plays off the different um, areas of this kind of walled town in Ethiopia and the natural landscape itself. Mm -hmm. Um, That all gets me pretty far with it. Yeah. Um, One of the... Just to go in a different way i guess one of the things that it reminded me of was like 1800s america 19th Hmm. century america if you will um and just like no one at all besides the gold miners at that point in time did anything for work that had nothing to do with the crop Hmm. and it's like this is a nation built around this very 19th century america where everything is about the crop, like whether or not you eat tomorrow is based on how this crop goes today. Um, and I, I, I do find um, that to be very, very interesting at a macroeconomic level, just thinking like, you know, this thing that we were doing in the 1800s is, is now translated to Ethiopia, right? Because Ethiopia used to be a bunch of different crops and a few different opportunities for work outside of cropping. And now, Um, at least within the context of this documentary, everything is about the succession of these crops. And, um, you know, I kind of wonder, you know, in a hundred years, will this retroactively have looked like progress? Mm. It's an interesting question. Uh, I, I I do not have an answer for you. I don't (laughs) either. I don't think anyone does. It's just one of those things that, you know, because you could argue 19th century farming, you know, was progress because it allowed us to expand um, in the capitalistic macroeconomic market. And I just, you know, you have to wonder if that's going to um, get everybody at the same skill level with cot, and then everybody will have the same background to begin to build uh, new economic tools to leverage themselves in the macro say, uh, sense of the word. Food for thought. Food to chew on. There yes. Yeah, how about the look of the film? Uh, the black and white, most of the quality of the Im- of the images. Um, the music, I think it, it's an interesting sounding film because there is a score, but there's also a lot of natural sound. Um, how most of that play? 
uh, mixed. Um, in the first like five minutes there for a little bit is like this very blurred imagery um, that that actually looks ugly. Like it looks like you're oh. watching it through a VHS. Oh, my heart. Um, <laughs> like it's it's very blurred. And I, I checked to make sure that it wasn't just like my stream, that it was how they wanted it to look. Um, and it, it never comes back, but it's there in like the first five minutes. There's just a couple of these outdoor night scenes where it's just, it, it is, it looks like you're watching something filmed from a bad VHS. Like the, mm. the walls are actually blurry. They're not clear to look at. Um, and I, I mean, even though it's ugly, like it drew me in. I, I think I spent like probably 40 minutes with this film, just like deeply engaged um by the the sensory input that it was giving me but eventually the repetition um kind of started to push me out of it and it it didn't go deeper it just stayed at the same metaphors where workers have their backs turned um and and you start to have you know some interiority thoughts about how they're quickly peeling this cot and you, you know what exactly that means and why are they putting those branches there and these leaves here um and that's all that all is really engaging at first, but then as it repeats and repeats and repeats the images, but doesn't add deeper value, um, I started to kind of lose the thread of attention. Yeah. I I would probably not complain about some time being taken out of it. Um, hard to say what specifically I would take out. I do like some degree of the repetition. Um, not, not to repeat myself saying that, but, um, you know, I do I'm think edit that and duplicate it. <laughs> there you go. Let's get a loop going. Um, I mean, I do just, you know, kind of appreciate the film grammar here. I do think nonfiction, you know, poetry for, for what you will is something people kind of tend to resist because when it comes to documentary, people want just explanations. They want facts. Mm-hmm. That's what they're kind of primed to um, expect. And, and they want, they come to it to learn something. Um, you know, I think this, just the the formal endeavor here of using it to do something that's um, more impressionistic and willing to kind of be ambiguous um, is bound to leave some people frustrated, I think. Um, but that's also what makes it original for me um, and what makes it makes it stand out. Um, I mean, I, I, I could I can go learn about the cot trade. Um you could tell me about the cot train. It sounds like you you could tell me more about it. Um, but I can't, I can't um experience the feeling and then see these see these images and, and and feel kind of the rhythms of this life um in anything except kind of this very unique form. Um, I do think it suffers just from not being seen in a theater. This kind of experience, you know, is not um. It does not do well in a room that is not dark to begin with. When so many of the images are dark, that's not going to help anybody's experience for sure. Luckily, I watched it after 11 p.m. within the pitch blackness. Smart move. the very move. room you're sitting in, so. Yeah, like, I can imagine this suffering in the context of, like, a, a festival where people were really binging. Where we did a much smaller sample of SIF yes. overall. Yeah, if this, this would was be my hard. 40th movie, this would be a zero. <laughs> that would... <laughs> it's kind of incredible that it's been as well received as it has when it's only played festivals and presumably all virtual ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting. I, I mean, sensibility obviously is the, the caveat to all criticism, but um, the, 
film Altiplano, like part of the reason <sighs> it, it works for me so deeply and so memorably is that it doesn't overstay its wealth. Oh, yeah. Um, and at some level, I think Fai doesn't understand where to stop. I think that the impressionism <laughs> yeah. and the, the, the poeticness of the images, I completely agree with that. But I, you know, I think an hour 10 is probably where it should live. But I, I don't know why it's why it has to be over 30 at some level. Like the, <laughs> the to to feel the poetry in a shorter amount of time sometimes makes the, the poetry linger longer. And mm-hmm. I think that, that the longer that that you keep spending time with it, the the more it um, undermines the the beauty of its first few lines. Um, and I, I don't know. That's just where I'm coming at it from. Totally. I mean, I'm completely with you there. Sometimes the best feeling is feeling like you've you're left wanting more. Sometimes that mm-hmm. can actually be a really great feeling. That is the way I feel with Torch sometimes. Where I'm like, I gotta see that again. I just did not get all of it that time, or that wasn't enough. Um, even feature films, there's a few yeah. features like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I'm I'm totally with you that there came a point where I felt like I maybe had my fill, and that's disappointing. Um, yeah, we're on the same page there. But uh, last night, as you mentioned, acquired by Criterion, do you know when it's expecting to be released? Well, I think they were going to try to give it a theatrical run. I think, like, Janice Films picked it up. Oh, wow, um, okay. So... Maybe sometime this year, when whenever yeah, they can summer. play somewhere. I have to imagine it'll probably be boutique independence this summer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, on to the Earth is blue as an orange. <laughs> This is a 70-minute documentary about life in the Ukraine during the year 2018, in which a family becomes the subject of a documentary filmmaker and her cinematographer. Um, and they, the family themselves are making a film, and this kind of documents that process, but much more deeply documents a family trying to make it seem like everything's fine when everything is definitely not in the middle of a... Um, not quite full-fledged war zone, but a a area where you could have gotten bombed that night and lose your life. Yeah. Um, it's directed by Irina Selick. Mm-hmm. This is one that I had not heard of before the festival, but had caught your attention. Yep. Anything in particular that made it pop on your radar? Um, I have a particular affinity for um, in-country, like in-war zone um, c- cinematography. And documentary making. Um, I think that's probably why I, I loved um, uh, Midnight Family so much was because it mm. almost felt like a war zone e- experience. I really like documentaries that are kind of doing investigative journalism at its most dangerous or like most, um, you know, heartbreaking um, because those are the stories that uh, at some level I think matter more mm. than other stories here at home. And so this is just a story that at some level I felt mattered and I wanted to spend time with. Yeah. Well, I think it was a good pick. I like this movie. Good. Um, it's 
yeah, it, it's an interesting movie. Um, like you said, we're watching this family try and make a movie. It's a mother and several of her children, two daughters and a boy, if I'm remembering correctly. Maybe it's another child that we don't see as much of. I think there's three, though. Um, one girl wants to be a cinematographer. Uh, she's maybe the most interested in actually pursuing it professionally. We see her uh, get accepted into a uh, film school. Another girl, the sister, assists with the production of this home movie, and the brother is mainly, mainly a performer within it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, it's kind of interesting. Just you know, whenever you even just hear the phrase "personally," you war zone. You just, I just instinctively picture activity and you know active conflict but then you you, sometimes you see it on screen and you realize like how just kind of empty it can be and i not to steal a word that's literally used in the movie emptiness but the way this donbass region just feels like a ghost town and such a dreary one it's so gray it's all of those like typically impersonal eastern european buildings that just seem so alienating and unwelcoming within all of this you have a family trying to make art it's that's kind of cinephile catnip in a way mm-hmm. um yeah i, I mean I, I was i was very intrigued but i think what really works is that it's kind of oblique and how it familiarizes us with this family we're not just listening to conversations um where they're talking to the camera explaining the situation it's more about kind of a fly on the wall of a approach i guess but it's more interested in kind of quiet moments images that just show us them trying to do this in this place that is so kind of eerily sparse and empty until the sudden bombing or the sudden tank rolls through town um i mean it's a, a very um interestingly shot one yeah it is i i still don't know how to characterize the the choice of how they direct this because it's essentially um or it could essentially be boiled down to like a behind the scenes documentary of another film that's being yeah, made yeah. except for it begins and ends on on different sides that aren't focused on that um necessarily um they, I think that the uh, a great scene of juxtaposition to use the the term again this episode just because we took a little bit too much time off with juxtaposition. You have to sometimes. Um, is as you mentioned the the shell going off in the middle of the night and them running over and checking it and then um, just the the frantic cinematography she's running away after the soldiers tell her that they're about to bomb that same spot again. Mm. Um, and. And then the next time we see, we see the military, they end up um, becoming part of the movie. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, a couple guys on the, tanks. That the, the uh, kids are shooting, or that the family's shooting, rather. And it's just such a fucking crazy juxtaposition because they were telling them that, like, you could die, and then they were in their movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just so bonkers. Like, just imagine having to do the mental algebra. If you were, like, the seven-year-old kid, and being like, um, move or else you're gonna die. And then let's let's play fun. <laughs> yeah, like it's just it's so weird. Um, <laughs> I, like I I don't even know how to fathom it at some level. Um, I I don't know if it's my favorite scene or not, but a particularly um, moving scene is when they're they're all down on the water and they're they're on these floats, 
and the the team is shooting these four teenagers and um our cinematographer um aficionado she's taking uh some some digital images of a of a coal factory i think across the way mm. i imagine they're doing coal processing there but i'm i'm not entirely sure it could be any sort of manufacturing thing mm. and um they light this this type of a chinese balloon that that's supposed to mm. to float and it it floats up about 10 feet and then proceeds to sink and the the laughing cry of the girl is like i wanted to go to college she took it well (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's this really funny because they sound like normal teenagers Mm -hmm. um like it just sounds like a cup like just a group of friends having fun like you know over exaggerating and all that stuff and for that one moment you're not in the war zone Mm -hmm. um and you know there's something deeply emotional to the way that these images are assembled together that they're edited i really like the choices of only using like three or four lingering shots where there's no life and it just shows Mm. like the the decrepitude almost of the yard the backyard of their house like it's not like they don't take care of it but it's like the, the weather is terrible and yeah. it's just strewn with things um it's not even untidy but it's it's messy um it could be cleaned up quickly but it's not clean and um you just sit with that image for a while and it just i don't know it's it gets in your bones i'm totally there with you there's a scene or maybe a couple scenes where one of the daughters the cinematographer i think or the aspiring cinematographer who's out with a with another boy, it's unclear. Not specified if it's a boyfriend or just a friend, but... No, it was a boyfriend, because she cuts, they, did they she cuts make that out? photo. Do you remember? She I comes remember, home, remember, she comes home from college in the last 20 minutes of the film. And mm. when she, she comes home, before they do the screening, she literally mm. picks up a piece of paper where they're, like, oh. classic boyfriend-girlfriend pose, mm. and she cuts him out of it, crumples it nice. up, and throws it in the trash can. You didn't need him. You were too good for him. Yeah. I like that. Um, there are a couple scenes where they're together and he's on his skateboard and they're just out front of what looks like a convenience store that's basically just been reduced to rubble. By bullets and um, bombs. Yeah, completely, uh, dilapidated. But, like, they're kind of just shooting shit out in front of it. Like, you just green screen that background for, like, contemporary Palo Alto and, like, the teenagers look, are gonna sound the same. This the, the the distinction between like the the way they behave and they're just trying to live as if things never change, and just the rubble all around them. That's just so depressing and so um, everything's just falling apart. It's really striking, but not at all heavy handed um, uh, in in the craft. No, it's it's not. It's just this. What you see is what you get, and then those those impressions of like how this this. Um, would be in in any region besides that, and like how how annoying these teenagers would be if they just weren't these teenagers in this war zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of a sudden we care a lot more about them. They're a lot less annoying because they have this this great dread and grief that they're carrying with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it. I mean, there's four cats I think living in this house. Yeah. Um. As the the family shoot the film um there's like sideways camera angles from the documentary we're watching and our cinematographer 
and it it's capturing um like the mom looking at, at her son as he's trying to do the the thing for the film that they're making behind her there's two cats on a chair that are fighting and you hear the hissing and the growling um there there's a, a great sense of life to this uh house as well um and there's a few moments where the camera goes through after the daughter who wants to be a cinematographer has gone to college and you don't see any pets on those walkthroughs and it just it feels so empty and like it lost mm-hmm. all the life in it and it was a, it was a really affecting moment for me um and i i just i really respect how the footage speaks for itself but it doesn't it's it's not forced down your throat it just is and then they move on yeah like i i really commend it for you know having this story of a family who has decided to not leave the region where many people have it's it's very empty and they talk about that at some point the mother talks about there needing to be people to, to rebuild and they have family there um her parents yeah you just can easily see the different kind of festival movie here that champions this the strength of the human spirit and the the music that tells you that and if anything the movie like you know takes the risk of um not being as emotional because it is kind of um not casual but it is kind of quiet and how it follows and observes this, this family as they make this movie it could also really underline itself as being about the power of cinema which it technically is but it's not the the movie that can kind of make you roll your eyes a little bit yeah. with that kind of sentiment. It's not sentimental at all. I don't it's think stripped back. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, we, we, we don't really see the movie that they make. We see some glimpses of it at the end when a small group of people have gotten together in this kind of makeshift, uh, theater to watch it. But I kind of, I, I, you know, they've decided to make a movie about, the region about the mm-hmm. war and it looks fictional i think it's not really about them it's not a documentary no it's about um, um it's about the incursion in 2014 okay yeah so definitely well grounded in reality but it's not about themselves um maybe it's inspired it's, it's inspired by it's about the, the neighborhood that, it's about the war but it's about a different time period yeah um but the, the idea like the point my point, it's not escapism. They're not doing this as a distraction from the the bleakness that they're surrounded by. It is it is a very much a way of processing all of this. Um, and, you know, just the idea that that is, that is auteurship right there is um, using cinema as personal expression um, is very cool. It's not the kind of thing where the mother is saying, you know, let's make a movie and pretend were elsewhere that we're in some fantasy land they're doing some hard-hitting neo-realism with this movie and they've never made a movie before that's kind of awesome it is i I love how invested the mom is in the confrontation with her daughter at one point about how we're gonna get a panorama of the war-torn city like we you know there's only two scenes where we can do that and she's like no when when we talk to your grandmother it has to be the pot-bellied stove nothing else in frame um i yeah i really responded to the um the family themselves and and the way that it was shot and framed um i i think that normally these movies go for um kind of a like a racing type of a pace where it's Mm. they they kind of pick a subject and then they they choose the footage that moves the fastest 
um, mm. normally leading up to that subject's death in a war zone. And then they move mm. on to like the person who found the dead body and then like follow them until they die and then so on and so on. And I like that this just lingers and it goes for the intimate moments. It goes for the emptiness, as you mentioned. Um, and it, it spends time with how these people are coping and feeling, which is what the film that they're making is about. It's, it's about trying to move forward in a war zone. And I think very few war zone documentaries are actually about that. Yeah. Um, the idea that they're they aren't just resigned to it but they're still like very emotionally responsive to it and you see that when these people are watching the movie at the end they are not just like weather beaten they're still very much um possessive of emotion in response to all these images um yeah good movie absolutely do you have a favorite scene i i, I do like the finale um quite a bit where we're seeing people watching this movie more so than we are really watching the movie itself. Um, that's pretty satisfying. What about you? Um, I'm going to pick a sequence. I'm going to cheat. What you got? My favorite sequence is after they've arrived at the college and her daughter's been accepted and she, the mother goes up and she cleans her daughter's college dorm room. Mm. And not just her side, but all the sides. She cleans mm. the whole thing out. She pulls a bottle of vodka out of the fridge and laughs, puts, yeah, yeah. puts it back in. And it's unopened. You know, I think that she got a kick out of the fact that it wasn't even opened. Um, and then they proceed to or the, the footage is cut and then it goes outside. She's with her daughter and she says, you know, you have to stick up for yourself and do, you know, you have to do everything. I'm going to hold you accountable for everything. But if anyone is a bully, mm. You don't have to put up with that. You tell me, and that goes away. And just the, just, you know, it really puts in frame the fact that we haven't seen a father at all in this film. Mm -hmm. They briefly address the fact that, that there's no men taking any responsibility um, in this area. And it, I don't know, I just, I really, not only respected her so much, but just had such a deep sense of humanity towards her and love towards, towards her as a person. You believe her when she says she will take care of it. I would not want to piss that lady off. No, no, yeah. she she's her own chimney sweep. Don't mm -hmm. fuck with her. And that is Sif. Till next year. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. And that's another one in the can.